this, this idea of Pentecost, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Some people call that like the birthday of the church. That on that day, and we talked about it, uh, what that day meant and what it uh, represented. You, you might want to go listen to the recording uh, as it re- referred to some of the historical matters of Pentecost. I didn't finish last week. I, I know that's a huge surprise. <clears throat> yeah, huge surprise. Uh, and in dealing with this, now, if you remember the last conversation that we dealt with with Jesus, conversation with Jesus, it was the woman at the well in John uh, chapter 4. And toward the end of that, she asked some questions. Jesus said this, The day is coming when those who worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. For God is a spirit, and those who worship Him worship in spirit and in truth. Or the Greek preposition there, can in spirit, can be by or with. The word in there denotes the idea of location or the idea of where something occurs. It's in the spirit that we worship. In fact, uh, the, uh, Jesus ends that section with saying, for the Father God seeks people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's who God is looking for. There are only two places really in the New Testament where the Scriptures speak about God seeking. One is that he, Jesus in Luke 10 came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's, he said, that's my program, that's my plan. And then in John 4 here we have where God, excuse me, is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Well, in relating that, uh, that was the week before Pentecost and, and working this week, uh, I just want to try to push that a little forward to, and uh, finish today and we'll get back to some more specific uh, conversations with Jesus. But I think that idea of that God is seeking, looking for people who worship Him in spirit and and in truth. And we'll look at what that uh, means in some other areas. So today, again, we're continuing this, this conversations with Jesus. Conversations with Jesus. And I want to finish up what we started last week, Pentecost. Pentecost, last week, the friend, or in parentheses, the help we need. The friend or help we need. Jesus, remember, said, after his resurrection, be raised from the dead, which you would think the next words for him would be, sick him. But he says, you go wait until you are clothed with power, right? I mean, you know, hey, risen from the dead, can't kill me, I'm alive, here we go, sick him. But he doesn't. He says, you now go wait in Jerusalem so that you may receive the promise of the Father, which is, or uh, referred to, is the Holy Spirit. As I reflected on that some more throughout the week, I thought about that what Pentecost is, is not only the day that we dealt with last week, but it's also this understanding of this friend or the friend, the help that we need. Jesus wouldn't have said, now you go wait and wait for, 10, or for 50 days until you receive the Holy Spirit if that wasn't the friend or the help that we desperately needed. I don't think that anybody would argue with that necessarily. A couple of you are just argumentative, you might, but you know, we'll go past that. Uh, that, that the idea is that this is a friend uh, that we need. Uh, I, I was thinking about this uh, the other day too. Anybody see the, 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 the television special, uh, 50 Years Celebrating the Beatles? Anybody? Man, what do you people do? <clears throat> <clears throat> Have you ever heard of the Beatles, anybody in here? Wow. Wow, you don't, want to, you, don't want to, you don't want to see my iPod shuffle then. You know, I've got a Michael W. Smith mixed in there between ZZ Top and Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, just to keep it, just to keep it holy. <clears throat> yeah, just, just, just to keep it holy. Uh, well, let me tell you then, uh, 50 years ago, there was a group named the Beatles. They came to America 
you <clears throat> probably have heard of it. Anyway, I recorded it and <clears throat> watched all of it, and uh, it was incredible to listen to all that music again. And, you know, Imagine Dragons and all these other crazy garage bands I don't know anything about uh, anymore. I did tell Becky, <clears throat> what's kind of interesting while we're watching that, that all these great guitar players, everybody was there but Eric Clapton. And if you know anything about the Beatles and George Harrison, you know why Eric wasn't there. Uh, he stole George's wife. <laughs> Uh, you know, just a little detail. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a full service uh, teacher. I give you all kinds of information, you know, just so you're up to speed. But <clears throat> I was watching that, and, and I told Becky the other day, <clears throat> still got it on the DVR, I can't erase it. She said, what do you mean? <clears throat> I said, I, you know, I just go back and listen to that stuff and, and want to hear it again and love seeing all that stuff. Well, <clears throat> one of the songs, it's not really one of my favorites, uh, but... <laughs> When I was watching the, the group of people and as it was going on, uh, what, I guess in my judgment, it's just my opinion. And you know the thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across this community church, it's elders or leadership. <clears throat> um, that, <clears throat> that one of the things that, I, that, that seemed to get the crowd really going like that was that little song uh, that uh, Ringo Starr sang, With a Little Help from My Friends. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's not the greatest singer and he's, you know, like a junior high school drummer, in my opinion. Uh, you know, uh, just uh, going way too far now, aren't I? Yeah. But, you know, I remember the song. I remember the song, you know, What would you do if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song and I'll try not to sing out of key. Oh, I get by with a little help for my friends. You know, and mm, I'm not saying this, but... And I don't know exactly what to be. I get high with a little help from my friend. That might be sociologically. That might be emotionally. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Come on, help me. Help me. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. <laughs> Could be chemicals, <clears throat> I'm guessing. Um, then, the, then the last line, I'm going to try with a little help from my friends. And I, you know, again, it's not one of my favorite songs. You know, I've got several other favorites, Bulldog and some other ones that they, <clears throat> they play. But uh, I thought about that. I thought, you know, don't all of us recognize that we need help from our friends? Uh, don't we all recognize, I hope, that in terms of uh, life and following Jesus, that this friend that Jesus talks about, this friend that Jesus says, I'm going to send in my name. This, this friend, this third person of the Trinity, not an it, not a feeling, not Casper the friendly ghost, <clears throat> none of that kind of stuff. This friend who comes to help us. And I just kept thinking, <clears throat> this is the importance that Jesus talked about and what we need to look at a bit today. So I want to talk about this friend who comes to help us. Let's <clears throat> look, uh, there were a couple of questions last week that I want to follow up on and get through and it has to do with, do all followers of Jesus have the presence and friendship of the Holy Spirit? Do, do all followers of Jesus have the presence and friendship of the Holy Spirit? There are different <clears throat> groups of people that will tell you that, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, there are different uh, theological positions on this, but I'm just going to try to share with you what I believe the Scriptures teach about <clears throat> this friend called the Holy Spirit who we need His help. If you'll recall or you remember uh, in John chapter 3, and I'm just going to give you lots of verses here so you can just write them down, jot them down, and you, know, you can trust me and then go read them later. Uh, but in John chapter 3, verse 5, it's always been amazing to me that people want to talk about Jesus on one side of the equation and then the Holy Spirit later. You know, that's different. 
And part of that may be the historical reality that the disciples waited for the Holy Spirit because there were some historical things that had to happen. One is Jesus had to live and die and raise from the dead. Two, Jesus had to be glorified. So what he says in John 7, he couldn't give the Spirit until he'd been glorified. So there's some waiting, there's some time lapse between their following Jesus and experiencing the presence of the Spirit. But I want to suggest to you, that's all historical issues. You don't, they had to wait until the cross was completed before they could experience the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offered. It, nobody has to wait for that now, do they? No. But so, so, so the idea that there's this dual kind of matter is, is somewhat, I think, missing the point. John chapter 3, Jesus said, Unless you are born of the water and of the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Hear that? Unless you're born of the water and the Spirit. If you're not born of the Spirit, Jesus is saying, you can't even be in the kingdom of God. Is it necessary then for us to understand that when we're born again, when we experience this new life from Jesus, that we're actually born of the Spirit? It's not, it's, it's not like the Holy Spirit's going to come find us sometime later. There's another one, uh, if you will, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter makes his great statement out of verse 38, when he says, uh, when the, when the uh, crowd you know, says, hey, what do we do? Men of I, I've often thought that'd be great for a preacher or a teacher for the audience to give the invitation, wouldn't it? <laughs> Instead of us giving 38 verses to just as I am and turn the lights down, you know, just one more now. I went to the altar one time just to get a shut up. <laughs> really. Uh, it, Peter's great answer is this. He said, you repent, believe, and be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those are all concurrent verbs there. Repent, believe, be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's clear to me that Paul understood and others understood and Peter understood that when one is born again or when one comes to Jesus, they are born of the Spirit and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've got some other uh, passages here. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is taking to task the church there because they have come to Jesus, and now they're saying, uh, people are telling me, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep this, you've got to do that, you've got to watch what you eat, and those kind of matters. It's fascinating what Paul <clears throat> said to that group, what he said, uh, <clears throat> listen, uh, you who have begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected or completed in the flesh? That's what he said to them. You who have begun with the Spirit... You can go read this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. You who've begun, he says, well, who's bewitched you actually? Who's, who's faked you out? Who's, who's put a spell on you? Is some of what the Greek language there means. He says, who's bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? Because you began in the Spirit. Are you now going to be perfected in the flesh? And the answer in Greek, of course, is no. And so these verses, I would refer you to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Uh, part of this whole uh, notion of that. Let me give you a little sidebar on this because let me try to make an observation. And I'll show you here, we're going to look about this, this idea of this friend or the friendship of the Holy Spirit. Now, there seems to be a couple of things that uh, we need to understand. One is, uh, it would seem to me, if there was this notion that, you know, you get Jesus at salvation and you get the Holy Spirit some other time, it would seem to me, I would just say this to you, that when you read the epistles in the New Testament, you know what the epistles are, right? Wives of the apostles, get that out of the way, let's go on. 
the epistles, the letters, Romans, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, you know, all, all of those letters, all those letters. You know, some of those churches are having some problems, aren't they? You know, Corinth, I love it when people say, what we need to do is return to the early church. And I said, not the one in Corinth. <laughs> I don't want to go back to that church. You know, there are people living with their parents in a sexual relationship. There's people taking each other to court. There are people arguing and fighting over the Lord's Supper and getting drunk. Wouldn't it be interesting if people who come to Jesus and are having problems that you would think that Paul would say, well, hey, what's your problem is you need the Holy Spirit. He never says that. He never says to any of these churches, well, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to see what he does say. He doesn't locate the problem that you don't have the Spirit. He assumes and understands that when a person comes to Jesus, as I'm reading the New Testament and study it, you cannot be born again into the kingdom without the Spirit. You can't begin any other way than in the Spirit. When you repent, believe, and baptize, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of those matters seem to me to make clear that anyone who's a follower of Jesus has and possesses, that's a, I don't like that word because we don't really possess the Holy Spirit. It's like one of my friends said, it's that He possesses you, Cliff. It's not that we possess the Spirit. He possesses us. Is that we understand that we begin this journey as a follower of Jesus with the presence of God who has regenerated us, brought us to new life, brought us into the kingdom of God, and live in the Spirit. There's no other understanding of the Christian life than living in the Spirit. That is the whole framework, if you will, the New Testament, that you live in the power and the strength of the Spirit, not in the power of the law, not in the power of your own effort or energies. And I think that lots of us may have grown up in places where we had the notion, you come to Jesus and you try to live good, and if you act right, then you'll get the Holy Spirit. Anybody hear that? I did. I heard it, I heard it as a kid. You know, you kind of live right. Now, I, I remember saying this to God one time. I, I've said some stupid things. I mean, it's a wonder I'm still alive. But, but I remember saying one time, praying, and I'd kind of come under that notion that, you know, I don't have the Holy Spirit and I need the Holy Spirit and all these kind of things. And, and I remember as I'm praying and I'm, you know, and I thought, wait a minute. If, if I can live good enough for you to give me the Holy Spirit, I don't need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't need Him. See, our need, our failure is our greatest qualification. Think about that. Our need, our failure in living the Christian life is our greatest qualification to come. As one author said, Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said, it takes a while for God to wean us from self-sufficiency. It takes God a while, doesn't it? For some of us to be weaned from self-sufficiency. That we can do this. You know, just try harder, read more, do better. So it's my suggestion to you that you understand. Now, what's the problem here is this. Here's the problem. Uh, have you ever had somebody give you a gift and you didn't know where it was? <laughs> you put it down somewhere, you know, or, or you... Uh, you I, I, I remember when I left the church I pastored in Houston to go to uh, seminary. I made friends with a guy. He's from East Texas. Doug probably knows him. Um, all and gas guy. And uh, we both shared an interest. I'm, I'm really not much into Christian music. I'm sorry. <laughs> We, we shared an interest in a guy named Dave Grusin. Anybody ever heard him, a jazz pianist? Really good, 
Y'all don't get out much, do you? <laughs> Dave Grusin. Dave Grusin, great pianist, great, great jazz guy. My friend gave me a little card uh, when we were leaving. And it was a real small card. It was like one of those thank you cards, you know. And so he gave it to me and I put it in my briefcase or something. And, uh, and uh, just kind of was walking around for a while. And for weeks, I carried that little thing around with me. And uh, Becky remembers this. <laughs> oh, it was a tape. That, oh, thank Beck, would you help me with this? It was wrapped around a tape, the, the little card-like thing. Finally, he calls me and says to me, did you, did you enjoy the tape? And I said, yeah. He said, did you open the card? And I said, no, no, I just, you know, enjoyed the tape. He said, there's a $100 bill in that card. <laughs> oh. I opened it then. <laughs> you know, now, did I have $100? Did I know it? No. See, I think there's a lot of us walking around wondering. We have this kind of self-talk with us that, you know, well, I'm not that good of a Christian or I'm not that good of a follower of Jesus. And the fact is, you have the presence of this friend. He lives in you. He's there. Paul even said in Romans chapter 8, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not even His. In Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, 12, if you don't have the Spirit of Jesus, you're not even His. This is what characterizes a follower of Jesus. There's new life. There, there's new reality in them. They're not just religious. Ralph? Yeah, my question last week was, like, I've got a five-year-old grandson, okay? He hasn't been baptized. He hasn't been repentant. But he has the Holy Spirit. He has the Adamic nature. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's the one theology we can empirically identify. <laughs> Are you asking, does he have the Holy Spirit now? Yeah. I, I would say it this way, Ralph. Uh, from what I understand Scripture to teach. Every person is created in the image of God. Not everyone is a child of God. John 1.12 says, To as many as received Him to them, He gave the right or the privilege to become the children of God. Uh, I think the Scriptures teach, and we've said this over the years, is that He is innocent until He makes His own choice to rebel in sin. Yeah, so He's, he's innocent. Uh, that's what we believe and have taught, that he's innocent uh, that until he makes his own decision, although he does, he lives with the Adamic nature. And the scriptures say that we all sin and fall short. He will someday make that choice. Make that, uh, I'm just, I was joking, but G.K. Chetcherson said that the Adamic nature or the fallen nature is the only doctrine of scripture that is empirically verified. Just watch kids. <laughs> just watch them. Yeah, they got that Adamic nature down. So <clears throat> he is, if you will, uh, with an Adamic nature, he's innocent until he chooses on his own where he knows. And I, I've had this conversation with parents before. I had a, a, a family come to me and say, we'd like you to baptize our son. I said, well, i got to talk to them. So we were talking, and I said to him, I said, you know, tell me who Jesus is. He's my friend. Great. You betcha. Uh, <clears throat> you know, why do you want to be baptized? He said, I want to be a preacher. And I said, great, we need more of those. Uh, just let me finish here. You know, don't try to take my job yet. But anyway, after we talked for a while, uh, I went out and his parents said, or, will you baptize? I said, no, I won't. I personally, no, I won't. That's why I said he has no personal sin recognition. He knows that you tell him not to do things, but it's because mommy and daddy said. It's not because he internally knows this is rebellion against God. Until then, Ralph, I believe every child is innocent. And they're created in the image of God. And they will someday have to make that decision and if Scripture is true, he'll make the decision to rebel 
And that's when we then begin to talk to people about who Jesus is and what he can do to fill us with power to live. So I, I don't mean to be dismissive. I, I just, I, you know, most children are still in the Adamic nature stage. <laughs> but they're innocent. They're innocent. So the idea of having a gift, the idea of having a gift and not knowing it, means I could not take advantage of that $100 bill. Now, once I found it, I did. It was easy. <laughs> But I didn't know I'm carrying a gift. I want to suggest to you that some of us, the way we think about ourselves and the way we've been taught or the way we go at life, that we have this idea or this notion, I'm just not quite there, I'm not just quite this, that, and the other, and yet you've surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to leave you here today saying, you have the Spirit of God living in you. Now, knowing that and understanding how that operates is a whole different, and that's what the epistles seem to suggest. So I want to ask you this. I took this to the Apple store. I cannot believe this. They had it a week. Okay. What are we doing here? Huh? Am I pushing too many buttons? Okay, here we go. I'm a, here, let, me, let me give you the application here. What if? What if in the bottom? Here we go. What if this week you lived with the assurance and confidence that you have the Holy Spirit in your life because of your faith in Jesus? What area of your life would this confidence make the biggest difference in the way you live this week? If you, if you leave this room today and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I've put my faith in Him and trust in Him. I know He is my Savior. What would you, how would your life be different this week if you said or you understood, I have this gift. He lives in me. And as a consequence of that, I'm going to live with confidence, if you will, in Him. Okay? Number two, let's go to B. I still have this. B. This should be, uh, how does one live in friendship with the Holy Spirit? This is going to be the key here. How does one live in friendship with the Holy Spirit? How does that friendship operate? How does it, how does it work? Uh, I'm going to talk to you about two things here. And, and uh, they'll, they'll be number one and number two. And if you want to go fill those out on the back sheet there, you can do this. On number one, just put do not. And on number two there, put do. Do not and do. We're going to come back. Let's go back to do not. Uh, in, 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 in friendships, like you know, with the Holy Spirit and, and others, um, there are some things that I've learned over the years that in friendships you do not do and in friendships you do. Uh, I've known Wayne and Linda Bolenbacher for 35 years. I've actually known Linda for about 37. I've known her longer than I've known Becky or Wayne or anybody. And uh, Linda and I worked in a ministry together in Houston, and some of y'all know her in the bookstore. She's just a great person. Linda's an incredibly gifted person and a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I remember Linda in Houston, we did what we called bus ministry back then. We'd go into areas of town and bring kids in. She went into one of the most crime-infested areas of Houston by herself. You look at her down in the bookstore and you think, she's sweet. And I, Listen, she is fearless. Linda is fearless. She went into a crime-infested inner-city area down by downtown and brought kids and people to Sunday school. Uh, but what I've learned, there's a, there's a couple of things about Linda I know you do not do. One of them is when you go to Ted's on her birthday, you don't tell them it's her birthday and put the sombrero on her head. 
Again, I learned that the hard way. Linda's a real bashful person. I mean, she's very, very introverted, and, and, and it's okay. But I've learned over the years, there are just some things you don't do. Now, you know, when I, when I go to Ted's on my birthday, I want the sombrero. I want a mariachi band. I want them dropping confetti and balloons from the ceiling. Have I mentioned to you I'm an extrovert? <laughs> just for clear. But I know in my relationship with Linda, don't do that. Do not do that. She is not wired like that. In this friendship with the Holy Spirit, I want to suggest there's a couple of things that we want to say we don't want to do and do. Number one on don't do. Don't do. A, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve. G-R-I-E-V-E. Grieve. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm just going to draw your attention to it real quick. Go to your table of contents if you will. We're going to run around some passages here in the epistles. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's interesting here that this statement about grieving the Holy Spirit is uh, located. In chapter 4, verse 29, Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only which is good for edification. The word there means to build people up. The, 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 the unwholesome word is a word that tears people down. The good word is the word that builds people up according to the need of the moment so that you'll give grace to those who hear. Isn't that interesting? That through our words and through our speech, if we give words that build up, we give people grace in their lives. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I'm going to hurry through this because I've got several. But let me just ask you to notice this and go back and look. When we think of the word grieve, the, the word grieve means to bring pain to or sorrow. Paul says here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But, you know, look at this. I've always been fascinated by this context that grieving the Holy Spirit, he doesn't, you know, talk about, and I'm not for these things. I'm, you know, pornography doesn't talk about stealing. or He doesn't talk about murder. He talks about the way we talk to each other and the way we act toward each other. One of the ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit is the way that we act and react to each other. Look at there. It's all about that. It's about the way you talk to each other. It's bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, being kind and tenderhearted. He says right in the middle, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this in my own family you know, my mom, my parents uh, were, were probably, this may be an overstatement, but they were grieved, I know, when my brother and sister and I weren't getting along. They would say, you know, my, I'm serious, my dad, uh, you know, God bless him. He, <laughs> no wonder I'm the way. My dad named me when I was a kid and my brother, Cain and Abel. <laughs> I was Cain. <laughs> I remember telling Mike one time, he, Mike wakes up singing. I, I really resent that. You know, he wakes up, good morning, Lord. I wake up, good Lord, it's morning. You know? And I remember my mic is, hmm, 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 I said, if you don't shut that up right now, I'm going to knock you to the ground. He kept doing it. Bam! I hit him and knocked him into the bathtub. So he's know a little bit out of us. Uh, that did not make my parents happy. <laughs> and, and my parents would say to me every once in a while, you know, when you kids can't get along, it grieves us. 
We want you to get along. We, your family, your brothers, your sisters, you, you, you've lived in the same house. And it's the same thing with God. Look, it, it's not grieving him because you're being bad toward him. It's not grieving him. And I'm not saying to do that, but he, the, the text here, it's, he's not being grieved because you're being bad and sinful. He, he's grieved because of the way we treat each other. Just look at it. How do you talk to people? Do you build them up or you tear them down? You know, I, I tell my students all the time, you know, we, 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 we just got to be careful with what we say. You don't know what people are carrying. You don't know what they're struggling with. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, put it away. Be kind to one another. I hear a lot of people talking about, I love people, I love people, but they're not kind. It's easy to love people. It's hard to be kind, isn't it? The scripture says, don't grieve the spirit. But what does that mean? It means to breathe the sorrow to the spirit of God because of the way we're acting toward each other. That's the challenge, isn't it? Because we're all fallen people. And we all do goofy things. And we say stupid things. And we have to come back and ask for forgiveness. But we have to be alert to this, that God is concerned here. Okay, i got, I got to go on. I, some more. Uh, second one. Uh, B, quench the Spirit. These are the two prohibitions in the New Testament that refer to the... Don't quench the Spirit. Now, that's found in 1 Thessalonians. Take a right, go about four books, go up through Asia, and come back around to the back. <clears throat> in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 22, I, I, again, the context is fascinating. There are a lot of what we call imperatives here. Rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks. Verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. But there's a semicolon there. You know, there's a dependent clause here. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Now think about that. Don't quench it. The word quench here means put the fire out. To put the fire out. You know, you go to some churches and, and again, you think, boy, there's a lot of fire there. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of things happen. I said, you know, I've gone to church before. When they sing, they got the music up so loud, it kills all the insects in the room. It just kills them. They're just hitting the ground. A lot of fire. You know, woo. You know. And, and sometimes people like that say, you know, don't, don't quench the spirit. Don't, don't, don't tamp the fire down. I want you to look at this. Don't despise prophetic utterance, but... Now, there's a contrast here. Don't despise, but examine everything carefully. Hold to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Look at the context here. Quenching the Spirit can mean one of two things. Despising prophetic utterance and being so gullible you don't know the good from the bad. Look at that. Don't despise it, but examine everything carefully. That's what he says. See, the idea is if somebody says, I'm a prophet, I've got a word for us, we, okay, we gotta, we got to go with it. No, wait, hold it, hold it. No, no. We don't want to despise that. We want to say, wait a minute, what are we going to do? We're going to examine it closely. Now, watch this, because I've never heard this verse taught in context yet. But hold fast to what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. Now the context here again is still this contrast. I always heard this, that this was at movies, bad girls, you know, shooting pool. Abstain from every form of evil. 
Listen, the form of evil here is in the area of prophetic utterance. The evil here is in the air. That's why I have to examine it carefully. I, I don't know this or not, but the early church were not a bunch of gullible boneheads. They weren't gullible. In fact, flip back in your Bible. I would love to see somebody do that someday, by the way. You actually can't. Flip back in your Bible. Leave it. <laughs> uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, about these spiritual gifts, about prophecy, about other things like that, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. After he's given all these words about prophecy and tongues and all this kind of stuff. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. He uses a word there, by the way, that it means babyish. It's the word nepeos. It's not, it's not a good word. In your thinking, do not be children. Yet in evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. See that? Listen, abstaining from every form of evil, quenching the Spirit, might mean that you and I are completely shut off and cut off from anything the Spirit may want to say or do. Or, we're so gullible we'll swallow anything. One of the two. Does that make sense? You see that there? Go, go look at it. I'm just telling you, look at the way the punctuation carries the thing forward here. Quenching the Spirit isn't that you say, now wait a minute, you know, I've had people say something, I say, nah, I don't know if I believe that. Oh, you're quenching the Spirit. No, I'm not. I'm doing the second part of the verse here, brother. I'm examining everything carefully. And I'm abstaining from what is evil and holding to what is good. If you've been around the church long enough, or you've been around people long enough, there have been all kinds of things said in the name of God that were nothing but evil and wicked. No doubt about it, okay? So let's just get down with that fast. So quenching the Spirit isn't, man, that music's too loud. You've been, I'm, I'm there. I got one good ear now after all the years of rock and roll. I'm serious. When I get in a loud service, watch this. This is my good ear over here. This one can go. In fact, I can't even hardly hear you over here. <laughs> you know, people, well, you know, could you just turn it down a little bit? Quenching the Spirit, brother. No, I'm not. I don't want to lose my hearing in here. You know? Or, you know, could we get somebody to make sense of something instead of 14 different people talking about 14 different subjects? You're quenching the Spirit. No, I'm not. I'm examining things carefully. I want to hold to what is good, but I am not going to swallow what's a bunch of phony baloney. That's hard to say, isn't it? Well, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> All right. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. <sighs> I'm fixing to quench something right over here. I got a quencher, a hammer. Woo, man, this is driving me nuts. Number two, I told you, now do. These two things are prohibitions in the Scripture. Say, don't do this with the Spirit. But go back and look at the context. It has to do with how we relate to one another and how we cannot be gullible with everything that somebody says is from God. Don't, don't, don't swallow that line. Examine it. I'll, I'll, tell, I gotta show, I'll tell you this. I want to tell you this, what I believe. It's just my opinion. I am very nervous around religious leaders who can't be questioned. Who can't say, well, you know, it's a possibility. Possibility I've done something here or possibility I don't know. Man, everything in me starts going off at that point. 
and thinking, this doesn't sound like Jesus to me. This doesn't look like... If you can't... You may not agree with what they say, but you're at least open to say, well, it's possible. Bill Hybels one time told a great story. I, you know, Bill's at Willow Creek and, you know, he's a monster leader in the world. He was in England one time. And a lady or somebody ran down the middle of the aisle and began to, to scream and yell, this man is a false prophet. Do not listen to him. Now, security was getting there fast. And Bill said, stop. Stop. Don't leave her alone. Stop. Go ahead. She said her thing. She sat down. He said, we're going to stop right now. And I'm just going to ask the Spirit. I want you to ask the Spirit right now if what I'm saying is true or false. He just stopped. And he prayed. Silently even. After what seemed to be an eternity, you know, with a few thousand people, he said, I, I, I believe that what I'm saying here is from the Spirit of God. And I'm going to continue. A similar thing happened to him a few years later that somebody ran down the aisle where he was teaching him and they yelled, this man is a man of God. This man speaks the words. He said, stop. Stop, stop. Go ahead. And then he said, let's stop and ask the Spirit if what I'm saying is true. Well, I like, to me, everything in me says, it doesn't mean Bill's going to do what they say or believe it. He just says, you know what, I'm going to be open to that. We can examine everything carefully. Is that okay? All right. I got it. Uh, 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 do. A, under, under two, number two, A, if we had a Toshiba computer here today, we'd be seeing this. <laughs> I don't want to be on the news, but man, I'm telling you. <clears throat> I'm going back to the Apple store. <clears throat> a, <clears throat> Continually, I put slash regularly, filled with the Spirit. What? That's A. That's A. Under two? Yeah. B, continually, regularly filled by the Spirit. You know, there are lots of things in life that you don't do once. You know, I told Becky 35 years ago, almost, I loved her. I've told her that since then. Uh, there, I got in shape one day, and then that was done. <laughs> you know, I started lifting weights one day and got a little more muscle, and I'm done. I'm finished. You know, it's all over. In this passage here in Ephesians five eighteen, if you're there, a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, really, uh, th this relates to what I'd said earlier that this word of being filled. Really, th the Greek here idea is is to be under the influence. Under the influence. In fact, it's contrasted in that passage. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That word means that when you're drunk with wine, you're dissipating. You have no focus. Dissipation, when it dissipates. Don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. In other words, when you get drunk with wine, your life is scattered. But, he says, in contrast to that, be filled with it. Be, be. Now, let me give you a little Greek here. A couple things is. One is that this term, be filled, is what we call a present durative. It means be continuously. Be continuously. And it's a passive verb, so it means you're asking God to do the work. You're be, be, I'm saying God, now you 
You, you be filling me continuously. Be being filled. It's in the present tense. It continues to be an action. And it suggests that we need to be under the influence constantly. And the call is to be being filled with the Spirit day in, day out, all the time. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a once and done. It's continual. It's under this influence. See, why, why didn't Paul say, well, you know what your problem is here is you don't have the Spirit. He didn't say that. He didn't say you don't have the Spirit. He said you need to be, you got that gift, you have the gift. Now be being filled, be being under the influence of that Spirit. Let me show you something too in Acts. This is very instructive, I think. You go, just write this down. I don't have time to go. I've got to hurry. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that all those in the upper room, and Peter and James and John, all those guys, and some other, and some women, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that in Acts 2? Tongues of fire and mighty wind, all that stuff. They're filled. It says right there. Greek word, same word here we're using in Ephesians. Play rat. Oh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Later, they get in trouble because, you know, they're preaching the name of Jesus and saying, you guys killed him. <laughs> they're not happy about that. They go, they get threatened, they get told, you know, you got to shut up. And Peter says, look, whether it's right for you and men, we're, we, we can't do anything but tell what we've seen. In Acts chapter 4, this thing comes to happen. They come back and they come there and they report to all the disciples, the other ones, what had happened. And then this is what it says. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, I thought they'd been filled. They had. Same people in Acts 2 that are in Acts 4. And they're filled again. Same Greek word, same group of people. They're all filled again. Listen, one guy said like this, you know what? Listen, I need to have daily filling of the Spirit where I'm allowing the Spirit to fill my life in this regard because I leak. Anybody else? <laughs> I leak. Listen, here, here, here's the idea. I, I want to say this. I, here's my sense, and we're not going to finish today. Yeah. I got some really good stuff I want to get to today. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you what I think about this is this is, you know, when we use the word filled, we mean under the influence. You know, we say a guy was filled with fear. What does that mean? He was under the influence of fear. He's filled with fear. Or you might say a person was filled with anger. It means they were being influenced. They were, they were being influenced, being full of it. Paul says be, be being Filled full of the Spirit. I've got that on my daily calendar when I pray in the morning. I just say, Jesus, here's a new day. I, you were with me yesterday, and I know you'll be there, but I'm just asking you to fill me. Because here's the problem. Until you and I are, are, are weaned from self-sufficiency, we don't think we need any filling. I'm full of Cliff. I'm full of me. I'm full of my education. I'm full of my background. I'm full of my experiences. I think I told you last week I went down to San Angelo and met a friend of mine who's a great leader, has no theological training, doesn't know Greek from Spanish, <clears throat> you know. But Harold has been a great guy and walked with the Spirit and we're sitting in the backyard, and I'm wanting to ask him some questions, and I hear this in my head. You have a doctorate. He's not even been to school. That's what I heard. 
And I said, that doesn't matter. I refuse to be filled with me. I want to know more about this thing, about being filled with the Spirit. And I said, Harold, help me. Help me. You're either filled with yourself or the Spirit. And I'm not trying to make some 80-20% thing like that. But when we make decisions, we either rely on ourself and our history and our background and our training or even our experiences instead of humbly saying, what would the Spirit have me do here? Spirit of God, I want you to fill me for this moment. I've told you this before and you're going to see it again next week. We're as full of the Spirit of God as we think we need. That's how full you are and how full I am. If your life's going along pretty good, you got it wired, I doubt if you have much sense of need. If you heard you have cancer or your wife said, I'm leaving, or your boss said, we're going to close your division out, next week my guess is you're going to have a great sense of need. Remember what I told you about a year ago? I'm going to keep driving this thing in your brain if I can. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates capacity for God to work in your life. If you're adequate, you got it wired, you got it down, you got enough money, you got enough influence, you got enough people, you got enough health, what do you need God for? Oh, take you to heaven. I mean, I know all that stuff. I'm talking about right now. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity. I, I, I just, we, we just run from this. Instead of recognizing it's our inadequacy, it's our inability that actually qualifies us to be filled with the Spirit. I was praying one day, and I'll shut up on this. I was praying one day. Here's where the problem is for me, or has been for me. I was praying one day in my house during the summertime by myself, you know, just praying, praying, praying. Oh, Lord, fill me. The Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me. You know, i got all kinds of issues, so, you know, we can talk about that later. I heard the Spirit of God say this to me. Okay, Cliff, here's what you want. You want an infilling of the Holy Spirit, not an infilling. Did you get that? Just a couple of vowels difference. You want an infilling. You want to feel something. You want your eyes to cross or your hair to straighten out or, you know, quit coughing. (laughs) Something happened. You want an infilling, Cliff. That's what you want. You don't want an infilling because I can fill you if you'll get out of the way. I can fill you if you'll let go and let me lead you. I, I can fill you if you'll quit thinking you're adequate enough. Well, that's the one thing. There's another one. We'll get to it next week. I just want to pray quickly and we'll go. For some of us, the greatest work that God has to do is to get us empty of ourselves. That is His life's work with you. He's been trying to empty you by failure. Your own. I'm not talking about He's making you fail. He's trying to empty you by what you see going on in your own heart. He's been trying to empty you by you seeing what's occurring inside of you that nobody sees. He's been busy trying to empty you. 
You've interpreted that as I'm a bad person. You've interpreted it with shame. You've interpreted that I'm no good. And they, No, no, this is the work of God to empty you. And all you have to do is lean into it and allow Him then to fill something that's now empty. So Holy Spirit of God, we bow before You as we do the members of the Trinity, Jesus the Son and God the Father. And we ask that our lives would be open vessels for You to fill us to use us, to live in us, to enable us to live the life that we could never live on our own. Fill us today. Lead us today. Guide us today. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. We'll finish this next week.